We've gotta be the body to rock it like we're never gonna see it again We are exploding, the world is gonna know it We'll rock it like we're never gonna see us again Come on PM and Pure Gold is live on the air for this Tuesday night, September 20th, 2011. Welcome to the show that covers everything, anything, and tells it like it is. My name is Joe Bacino, along with my tag team partner and co-host, David Gomez, who's fumbling around with the equipment over there. How are you, sir? I'm doing fabulous, sir. And yourself? <laughs> I'm doing good. What's going on? Uh, not much. Just here, you know, PG style, doing it like we always do. Uh, we both had a good weekend because our football teams won. We'll get into that. We'll get into some wrestling. We'll get into some baseball nuggets and then some other nuggets other than sports and sports entertainment. But first, sir, let's give out the contact information. Folks, as always, if you'd like to be a part of the show, give us a call, 714-364-4721. If you would like to check us out on the Internet, of course, you can do so at puregoldpg.com or you can check out our Twitter accounts. Both of them. And you can also check out our YouTube, which hasn't been updated in what seems to be forever. And, of course, our Pure Gold Facebook. JB? Hey, sir, I was just wondering, today is September 20th, 2011. Did we start a show on December 20th? Yes, we did, sir. And today would actually mark the nine-month anniversary of uh, PG. So we've been at this for nine months strong, sir. Yeah, it, it been going great ever since, and uh, on our way to our 100th episode, I think we're only a couple months away from that, aren't we? Uh, I would believe so, sir. We are only a couple of months or, you know, 20-some-odd episodes away. <laughs> there you go. So uh, this past Sunday, we had another pay-per-view. The WWE brought to you the Night of Champions, and sir, I must say I am glad that we did not order it because it seems like this is a pay-per-view that fell flat on its face. I mean, other than, I guess... The CM Punk Triple H match, which was intriguing before the pay-per-view, we want to, we were talking about it. I think the fact that Super Cena is back and he beats Albert Del Rio, we could get into that. We get into the fact that Mark Henry now is the new World Heavyweight Champion. But this pay-per-view, sir, um, just to me, just didn't do it after reading the results. What do you think? <laughs> Definitely, I think it's funny that you know here we are talking about a pay-per-view that we didn't even watch. But the truth of the matter is that it was not a good pay-per-view uh, by all accounts as it were but you know what sir i mean here we are a couple days removed from it i'm not a big fan of the fact that mark i mean anything i guess other than randy orton is champion but uh, i'm not a fan of mark henry i don't understand the push but you know it is what it is as far as john cena getting the world title back the wwe title that it still confuses me i understand that he uh makes some money as it were but the truth of the matter is i just don't I don't get it. I don't understand why they want to make him a 12-time champion, 15-time champion, 30-time champion, which he seems to be on his way to shattering all the records for the major companies. So uh, I just don't know, sir. I honestly do not know. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, there's a, a lot of different things that go along with that whole Super Cena thing. I know that you had mentioned that Busted Open on, at a production meeting, that Busted Open mentioned, like, if they're going to – keep the strap on Cena, why is he going to drop it once in a while and regain it? Why don't I just keep the title for five straight years, 
let him be like a Bruno San Martino type and let him keep it forever instead of just winning it, losing it, winning it, losing it. And to me, that you're right, sir. I don't know if they're just trying to pat his stat, pat his stats, you know, to hopefully one day pass Ric Flair because he's only about four away from that. But the the fact is, is that you look at his opponent, who was Albert Del Rio, and sir. I mean, you said it best. I'm going to let you take it away from here. You said it best. This guy has been marginalized from the get-go ever since he won the Money in the Bank. And uh, I don't know. To me, he's following the same pattern as The Miz. He's in obscurity. Now that The Miz is at a different angle, we could talk about him later. But I think Albert Del Rio is now marginalized and you know, will never be considered a legit world heavyweight champion again. Well, according to, a, I think it's WWE.com, actually, <clears throat> excuse me, Del Rio had the second shortest reign of all the uh, Money in the Bank contenders, so that goes to show you right there. I just don't understand the, the I don't understand the logic. I don't understand the booking. I mean, I, I don't understand a lot of WWE logic, especially lately. It seemed to be going upward for a while, but now it seems to be back in the crapper. Um, I don't get the purpose of giving Del Rio the belt for a short time and then giving it back to Cena. I don't understand why they they chose to do that because truthfully, now they're going into the triple threat Hell in a Cell match. With, you know, they're throwing Punk back in there. He may have lost the Night of Champions, but he never got his title rematch, so he's getting it at the pay-per-view against Cena and against Del Rio. It would have made way more sense to have uh, Del Rio hold the belt again up until the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, which is two in two weeks. With, you know, on a side note, it's totally ridiculous and unjustifiable that WWE throws out two pay-per-views back-to-back in a belly-to-belly because any, anybody who shells out money for this crap, you're, 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 you need help. You're sick in the head. If you're going to shell out that kind of money for two pay-per-views immediately following each other. And then there's a third pay-per-view. I forget. I, I did my research. I actually, I had it, but I forgot. The, the, pay-per-view, the other pay-per-view coming up after uh, Hell in a Cell. But, man, to shell out that much money for pay-per-views that come so quickly that have no build, it doesn't even make sense. The Hell in a Cell pay-per-view is a farce. And uh, truthfully, giving Del Rio that reign and then giving it back to Cena, now having Cena be the challenge, uh, the champion and, and Del Rio the challenger doesn't make sense. He should have kept it. It's just bad booking, sir. Plain and simple. It's just a horrible booking. I think it just goes to prove that that belt, that spinner belt that we cannot stand at all, is just really on loan for anybody that has it. And then, you know, it's pretty much a month or two later, John Cena will be the heavyweight champion again, and he'll have his spinner belt back. You're absolutely right. Uh, sad but true, sir. You are absolutely right. So, you know, that match in itself to me was a mystery. Uh, not a mystery, just like a, a pretty, you know, a farce if you ask me. Um, just to have Albert Del Rio lose to John Cena, and not only lose, but I believe he tapped out. So, you know, he loses all credibility for me. I mean, I, I, I've said time and time again that Albert Del Rio would have been perfect on SmackDown as their heavyweight champion feuding with Randy Orton. And now you have Randy Orton losing to Mark Henry, who I guess is, has become a believable champion. But let's face it, I mean, the guy's been around forever, Mark Henry, and he's finally getting his his title reign, and uh, I don't know how long it's going to last. I'm sure, you know, it's not going to be one of those long reigns like, you know, Randy Orton or John Cena does because, let's face it, sir, the only two champions that keep the belts for a long period of time are John Cena and Randy Orton. In this day and age, yeah, it seems to not Triple H doesn't seem to be interested in the title. You're right. It seems like those guys are the only ones holding it for uh, a long period of time, but uh, I don't know. All I can say is I just, again, I still don't get it, but, uh, you know, continue, sir. Well, you figure that the next pay-per-view, which is called Hell in the Cell, will probably feature a rematch between Randy Orton and uh, Mark Henry in a Hell in the Cell, obviously. And, sir, as you recall, we, before even Pure Gold was on the air, 
Um, we went to a Hell in the Cell pay-per-view about two years ago in Newark, New Jersey. And, you know, I, I must admit, the pay-per-view is pretty good um, itself. Um, we walked away thinking that that was a pretty good pay-per-view. I don't see how this pay-per-view, other than, again, maybe the triple threat main event match with John Cena, Albert Del Rio, and CM Punk, can be a pay-per-view that you want to dish out money, especially after Knife Champions fell flat. I don't see how you think that the this is a pay-per-view that's worth buying, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I don't think any pay-per-view really uh, at this point is worth buying. Um, I mean, you know, in terms of in terms of like SummerSlam, maybe you know, I got I thought it had its moments. Obviously, the Royal Rumble is always worth getting. Uh, WrestleMania, to a lesser extent, the Survivor Series. If you're gonna get the main four pay-per-views as a fan, I can understand that. But to pay full price for these pay-per-views, just uh, I don't know, sir. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. To have this, I mean, the next pay-per-view, by the way, after that is Vengeance, which was, check this out, Hell in a Cell is October 2nd, um, the pay-per-view that we just saw was October, was September 18th, then, on October 23rd is the Vengeance pay-per-view, sir, if you go all the way to, to November, in a two-month, you know, which is Survivor Series on the 20th, in a two-month stretch, there's four pay-per-views, how in the world is that okay, sir? Yeah, I don't understand it, um, we even talked about this, sir. I mean, you might want to mention your opinion of this, is the fact that if you buy the pay-per-view on the Internet, on your computer, I mean, I think that you would get so many more buys if you're the WWE if you reduce your price by having your pay-per-views on the Internet. You should you should almost, like, pay half as opposed to when you buy it, you know, on your TV. I think the problem with that is that if you were going to pay half, they wouldn't they wouldn't go for it because it, maybe they'd be losing so much money. Um, but truthfully, you know... Th- I mean, people are buying. I guess that's all that matters. But they're not getting huge buy rates for these pay per views. They would if they if they spaced them out better. If they were less pay per views. If they were, you know, I mean, they have about fourteen, I think, this year. But if you could have twelve at the most, I think nine would probably be a better number. Or eight or something. I mean, you you need to have less pay per views. There, there's entirely too many, sir. Uh, fourteen, fifteen pay per views in a year. I mean, come on, seriously. I mean, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And then you have the whole match at Night of Champions. You had CM Punk versus Triple H, and if Triple H lost the match, he would no longer be the CEO of the company. And that you know, that spilled into Monday Night Raw last night because Triple H was able to beat CM Punk. But now explain this logic to me, sir. Maybe, maybe I'm just making too much out of this, but CM Punk loses to Triple H, and now he's in the title picture of the next pay-per-view Hell in the Cell. Well, the fact is that he never got his title rematch, which obviously he was entitled to after the last pay-per-view, after uh, getting hosed at SummerSlam. So he basically took a month off, dealt with the whole Triple H issue. But uh, that's the that's the whole meaning behind that, and probably means Punk's not going to win. But, I mean, seeing as champ, what can we do? There, there, there's really not much, sir. You know, earlier you were talking about uh, underrated, and you were talking about things of that nature. You know, speaking of somebody who's underrated, speaking of somebody who's, you know, just talented beyond belief. Uh, we have on the line with us this evening your your own personal best friend, sir, uh, the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend. I mean, words can't describe. We have bright lights, Jarrett Foster, Mr. Foster, uh, who's currently a part of the IWF, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Jarrett, how are you doing this evening, sir? I'm doing good, guys. What's going on? How are we doing tonight? 
We are doing fabulous, sir. I'm sure that Joe is just over there shell-shocked with, uh, you know, hearing you again on, on the program. It's, it's, it's been a little while. He's probably flustered. How are you doing, Joe? Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> flustered right about now. I would, I, would, I would imagine. I would imagine. What's going on? <laughs> All right, Jerry, let's uh, let's get into this here. You know, um, you know, obviously, we thank you for coming on the program. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on, and I know – Considering some of our past conversations, uh, you may think I'm being disingenuous, but you know you've been on the show. I think this is the third time, so you pretty much tied a record with one of our other uh, favorite guests, who's who had appeared on the show many times. Um, you know, first things first. Last time we spoke to you was right before Hurricane Irene, as a matter of fact. Now that I think about it, it was before uh, IWF pay-per-view was canceled, and. In the meantime of that and, and today, there's been quite a few developments going on in the IWF. So um, if you could, sir, would you be able to uh, elaborate a little bit more on what's been going on in the world of the Independent Wrestling Federation since last we spoke? Yeah, I would be glad to. I know it's funny that as I was on last time, I remember getting the uh, email that IWF show was canceled due to the, the risk of a hurricane, and uh, it apparently got that bad. Um Ruined the building. Uh, apparently, the the you know the water got really high and uh, the place was, you know, destroyed from Hurricane Irene. Um, you know, uh, so there was really not much that uh, Kevin Knight could do, you know, except for you know let the water go down and there was evacuations and it was pretty bad over there. So we couldn't have our our show. And since then, uh, you know, good things have happened, bad things have happened. You know, Flex uh, Flex Freeman got signed to WWE. Uh, which is a great thing uh, for him and the school. And, uh, you know, in the same, you know, same day or same week, you know, Kevin made the decision to close the school. I mean, he's been doing it 15 years, uh, and I can imagine what a, you know, stress factor it would be constantly worrying about your building getting flooded and getting destroyed. And I would imagine there's only so many times as a business owner uh, that you'd be able to, you know, rebuild what's broken down. Uh, and I think that after all the people have come out of IWF and Flex getting signed, it was probably just, you know, a good time to say, all right, this is done, you know, and it's done, at least you're going out on a high note, you know, but it's not over yet. Uh, I think there's still things in IWF's future that we don't even know about yet. I would imagine, I know that we have three final events uh, coming up in October. It'll pretty much be every weekend in October, the 15th, the 22nd, and the 29th. We still have three shows um, they're selling out already, the tickets. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's just a closing for the IWF building where we are at now uh, in Woodland Park. Uh, and, and I think that from there, a lot of people, you know, are very well connected there at IWF. And I don't think that that circle will die. I just think that that location will die uh, for now. And I think that with everybody's passion for doing this and the, the crew that you have there, I can see IWF starting to branch out and do outside shows and start moving around more, as I feel it should have been doing for a very long time. Um, uh, and when that happens, bigger things happen, more notoriety happens. And I don't think it's the end of IWF. I think it's the end of, you know, uh, the location in Woodland Park. Uh, okay. But again, again. Sorry, let me, uh, let me cut you off for a second now. Um, it, it sounds like this is what you'd like to happen. Now, obviously, you have way more insider info than we do. Do you know, is that the plan? I know that uh, Kevin had mentioned when it first happened, you know, had contacted him, and I saw Twitter and the Facebook and everything about doing the shows outside of the of the building. But is that is that like a definite, or is this just a, a thought or something you hope might happen where, um, you know, the IWF may branch out and it, 
again, the Woodland well, Park I location. I mean, I can't. I, from what I'm told, uh, I know for a fact that that location is done and that yeah. October will be the last shows there. That's what I'm told. That could also change, but I don't know. As of right now, that's what I'm told. As far as doing outside shows, that is an opinion based solely off of my own thoughts and what's going on in my head, which is, you know, for me, you know, Kevin Knight is a businessman, and if he can take his business elsewhere and still make great money and still put on a good show, you don't need the building. You just need the people. You know, right. you need a good crew. And I think that, and I think that, you know, ra- you know, closing the doors of the location that we're at and having these last three final shows, you're still going to have that energy and you're still going to want, as much as everybody says, I mean, they don't want to do it anymore. They're done doing it. I, you know, seem to believe that anybody can say that in wrestling and as history would show, even the, from the most famous guys and most successful to, you know, indie people, it's hard to back away. I mean, you might go away for a month, but you're going to want that energy. You're going to want that vibe back. And I, maybe opinion again, but uh, I still think that there's no way that this is it for Kevin Knight and this is it for IWF. I just don't think a hurricane or someone getting tired in the moment is going to stop that force, so to speak. So, again, it's in my mind, but I actually can't see it ending. No, I don't. I mean, to, to be very honest with you, it makes no difference in my life either way. Um, <laughs> maybe that's an opinion. Uh, another one that shouldn't be shared, but it doesn't really make a difference to me uh, whether it's, you know, I got my training. Uh, I'm thankful for that, and I did very well there. And if it goes out this way, it goes out this way. And that's, you know, it's not going to stop me personally uh, and Aaron Stride and, you know, someone, you know, who I tag with from doing outside shows. We're on four or five different indies now, and that's expanded, you know, over the over the last month, we've expanded and you know gone out to do you know four or five different indie shows. So we're getting out there too. Now I can't speak for everyone else. A lot of people only wrestle at IWF, and you know they might have a problem or they might feel, oh no, what do we do? But again, that's their lives, not mine. So personally, doesn't make a difference. Professionally, to me, really doesn't make a difference. Uh, but as far as what should happen or what could happen, we, we you know we'll all find out together. So it's good to know that you have a backup plan. I mean, you're not just relying on the IWF to uh, further your career. You have a lot of uh, different ap- options, obviously, available for yourself. I think with the way the wrestling business works in general, if you have any sort of plan, your plan is never going to go according to plan, especially in this business. But as far, I wouldn't say it's a backup plan. I would say it's exactly what I intended to do, whether IWF is staying open or not. You know, I think it's with any, you know, if you were just in, uh, you know, uh, name any other indie uh, promotions out here, if you were just in one promotion, your odds of getting a look or your odds of getting more experience or really gaining knowledge of the business and how people work and how it is to work for other people is slim to none. You need to go out and you need to branch out. You need to do other things in order to get your experience. I don't care who ever came out of IWF, they needed to go out and do their indies and get their training and wrestle with other people in order to get signed, any of the people that did get signed. And I know that just from knowing all the people who have gotten signed. It wasn't like they stayed in IWF their whole time, boom, they got signed to WWE. I would say Flex Freeman is the first person that's happened to. Right. You know, know, so again, no, I don't think that you can stay at one location. So for my plan, me personally, uh, the, the idea is always to go out. I mean, who wouldn't want to? You know, two shows a month for me is not good enough. Right, right. Now let me ask you this. Um, 
I know you said you, you mentioned training there and stuff. Uh, you've been doing the, the independent states. Somebody like uh, Darren Young, for example, like I remember him back in the day when I first went to the IWF, and this is years ago. Uh, his bone crusher, Fred Sampson, I remember him battling, you know, Roman for the IWF heavyweight title. Now, in Darren's case, uh, I know you, you and him are friends outside of uh, outside of the uh, the IWF and whatnot. It, is that what he did? I mean, was he going all over indie indie dates, and then he also showed up at the IWF, or uh, how did that work out? I mean. Uh, yeah, I mean Darren. Darren, but he's a good friend of mine, Darren Young, and uh, uh, yeah, he uh, he was in wrestling eight eight nine years before he got signed. But you know, he got his an initial training from IWS. He was there for a long period of time, I think five six years. Uh, but during that time, he was still doing outside shows. And when he actually got signed to WWE, I believe, and this is from his mouth and other people who know him, I think he was the heavyweight champion of four different promotions, and he had to respectfully dropped the belt in all these locations because he was that good before right. he can actually go to WWE. And as a respectable guy that he is, he honored, you know, all those promotions and got permission from the WWE and settled his bouts and feuds with all those places. And then he went on to do, to do his business. But, yeah, he had to. I mean, he says it all the time. You know, it was not just IWS that got him signed. It would have never been possible if he had just stayed there. He needed that experience. It's what made him the wrestler he is today. But, of course, he's grateful for IWF because that's where he got his training, uh, his, you know, the basics and his initial training. And from there he branched out and he became uh, Darren Young in the WWE. But if it wasn't for going outside and getting experience, who knows what would have happened. Well, you know, it can't be easy for an independent wrestler, um, whether it's the IWF or whatnot, whatever. There's so many independent wrestling federations. I mean, in a place like the IWF, it's actually, you know, it's a, it's a credible place. It's not like a backyard wrestling promotion that, you know, Joe and I are running out of our homes, but um, it's actually, uh, it's interesting to me the way that indie wrestling works now as opposed to in the 80s when it was such a big thing, when they were the territories and everything else. Now the indies is basically like, you know, if you're not in the WWE or TNA or Ring of Honor even, like, you know, you're somewhere. you got to be somewhere at some places, five or six different uh, somewhere uh, as far as uh, different promotions. Now, you're, the places that you've wrestled for, or you are wrestling for, you, you mentioned you and Aaron Stride, are they all Jersey-based promotions, or are you traveling outside of the state? No, we, we are traveling. I mean, we just recently, uh, two weeks ago, we went out and traveled and did a tag match in the tournament for uh, Chaotic Wrestling out in uh, Massachusetts. And, you know, a lot of great people, Kofi Kingston, uh, you know, Again, Darren Young was the heavyweight champion there when he was leaving to go to WWE. Uh, it was a great promotion, uh, and you, you need to travel. You need to branch out, you know. Uh, having spoken to many people in WWE, people will travel around on regular vacations, look up an indie show and say, you know, hey, can I get on this if it's possible? You know, we'll get on anything. We'll do any kind of show. And some people in the business, some old school people in the business, would say and have said to me and to most uh, – you know, oh that you know that's uh, that show is the you know the worst. Don't don't do those shows. Don't do these shows. My opinion, and again, I am no one of expertise in wrestling to state my opinion. But my opinion, from the friends that I have in wrestling to the executives that I have in wrestling that I know personally who give me advice, and to the you know indie wrestlers I have, you need to branch out. You need to do outside shows. It's not just about your technical training and your wind, and your in-the-ring ability, and your psychology, and your brain. It really, when it comes down to it, as anyone can see, it's really about pleasing that audience and entertaining that crowd. Um, 
And and the only way to really get good in front of a crowd is to do it in front of many different audiences. Uh, and well, that's what I feel. Yeah. What, what I'm hearing from you. What I'm hearing from you is that Flex Freeman is the exception to the norm. Can you explain to us, in your opinion, obviously, definitely, maybe, why Flex Freeman is the exception to the norm? I don't think he's an exception. I think that WWE. Uh, it, I think WWE is always looking for the next John Cena, and I think that's the concept they have when they hire new talent. You know, they have eighty something people at FCW out in Florida. And that's simply because he's going to break out. He's the next breakout guy. They have no idea themselves. So why not try everyone? Flex isn't a exception to the rule. I think who is wrestling stuff? Stop your noise. Exactly. What is going on? I don't know what that is, but uh, but but. Well, I think what Joe meant, uh, Jared, is that exception to the rule in terms of uh, the guys who come out of the IWF and have you know either been signed in some way, shape, or form to TNA or the FC, uh, FCW or the WWE because, you know, you mentioned he only got trained at, at the IWF, so I think that's the route that Joe was going as far as the exception. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you as far as that, and I think that every situation, again, is situational, uh, if that makes sense. Every person is situational. And with like the situation? Case, uh, no, nothing like that, actually. Um <laughs> Uh, no, with Flex's case, in all fairness, you know, I say this all the time. I mean, um, he got to look at, you know, thanks to Kevin Knight and thanks for being in the right place at the right time. He showed up. He looked good. He's green as green uh, can come. And he has and is the ability of someone who can be molded and trained. And I think that when he got the look uh, and he got the push from Kevin Knight and said, I got a guy who's good, take a look at him. They looked at him, and they said, we can train him. He doesn't have any bad habits. He doesn't know what to do. Let's train him our way. And I think that's why he got picked up, because he's very young, you know, uh, can be pushed to be driven. Uh, he has to have that drive to do it. Uh, why not throw him in FCW and see what comes out of it? They're, you know, imagine, I imagine they're spending a lot of money on guys who don't belong there to begin with just because of politics, or maybe they uh, have been wrestling for a long time. Let's finally give these guys a shot. Someone like Flex, he's trainable. He got a look early on, very early on. He was very lucky. And really now the ball's in his court, and it's up to him uh, to either prove himself or drop the ball. And no, we're all waiting to see what's going to happen there. Because, you know, people have gone from IWF from other indies to FCW, and they dropped the ball very soon. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of guys. I mean, I know that uh, there was a guy coming out of the IWF not that long ago, Fadi the Arabian Bull, who I think only lasted in FCW for a few months. And, I don't know what he's doing now, so, uh, you know, obviously no disrespect intended to him, but, you know, he didn't seem to be able to hack it. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that it's a good idea by the WWE to basically just have the one central location where everybody goes to the same school? Because to me, with all the styles and all types of wrestlers that they have, I mean, you've got, got well, Chris Jericho's not there anymore, but you had a guy like Chris Jericho, you have a guy like Rey Mysterio, uh, Alberto Del Rio, now Sin Cara, who's getting a push, uh, so many different uh, wrestlers. You had a Kurt Angle who was an Olympic wrestler. And, uh, you know, guys have been in and out. Bret Hart, uh, Shawn Michaels, just to name some of the all-time greats. They all came from different promotions. They were trained differently. They came to the WWF or the WWE, and they were able to adapt their styles. But by taking everybody and put, funneling them through the one place with the same trainers uh, being brought the same way, do you think that's conducive to guys being able to break out for real? I mean, uh, just as a fan, I, I don't 
personally see it, but maybe you, since you, since you uh, know a bit of, more about wrestling in terms of the uh, actual wrestling portion of it, what's your take on that? I think that if you're going to get there and you want to be there bad enough, you're going to be there, and there's no one wrestling school or a- any different six that are going to tell you you can or cannot do it. And I think that when it really comes down to it, you either have it or you don't. Now, I understand what you're saying about styles and people getting trained differently, I really feel that you can take 25 people thrown in the ring with the same trainer and they're all going to wind up adapting their own style because that was what they were meant to do and that's what they're more comfortable doing. It might take a little longer, but at the same time, I feel that if you're doing it, and it doesn't matter, FCW being the only location that you can get trained to be a WWE superstar, how they got to FCW is up to them. You know, They're going there to get TV training. They're going there to get sharpened up they're going there to you know lose the bad habits but at the same time they need to put the footwork in wherever they are trying to get in the business they need to put the footwork in they need to get their own experience they need to do something to get a look at to even get to fcw and that aspect of it i don't think has changed um they still have to go out and do the indies they still have to work on their promos and characters they still have to have the it factor they still have to have something in order to get signed there's not one person in fcw that didn't have something in order to get signed. And I think that just because FCW is the one place that they'll train you doesn't mean that you have not gotten your experience, style, or, you know, uh, footwork out, you know, anywhere else it came from. Um, So I don't think that really uh, affects anything. I think the idea um, in wrestling just in general, I mean, you can pick out anyone in IWS and any indies and go, they have this, but they don't have this. They have this, they need to work on this. You know, and that, and that's with anything. But overall, all around, you need to have it, as WWE would say. You need to have it. What makes me want to pay money to see you? And if you have that, you'll be an FCW. Plain and simple. They'll never turn away money. Well, let's say, Jared Foster, you have it, and you get signed by the WWE, and then they decide to go in a different direction with you and your character. Are you going to... Um, basically, I don't want to say sell out to WWE, but are you going to let them tell you where your character is going to go? I would say uh, if you get signed, I'll speak for myself, if I ever got signed to WWE, I would let them I would let them tell me to do anything and I would still do it. And that's not because I want to keep a job, and it's not because I'm a quote-unquote yes man. It's because they're the boss. They're the employer, you know. And if I want what WWE is offering, you have to play by the rules. And I wouldn't say it's a sellout. I would say anybody who left the WWE because they didn't want to change gimmicks or change their character or be a yes man, if anybody left for that reason, they're fools. And I guarantee I don't care who they are. They're going, ah, I wish I didn't do that. Because you tell me, I don't care even if it's TNA, there's not any other place that anyone in the world wants to wrestle except WWE. And it doesn't mean that if they change your character or change their gimmick that you might not be something different in 10 years or five years, but at least you would have done it. You see, I always say, you know, if you're there, you've made it. If you're there for two weeks on TV, you've made it. You've done what millions of people wish they can do. Longevity would be heaven. But just getting there, to me, 
is reaching your goals, reaching your dreams. Because how many people can ever say that they did? They received a paycheck from WWE. They went out and got what they wanted and worked hard for it. So if you get there, <laughs> to me personally, I'll do whatever they ask, whatever they ask. And that's not that to me. That's just a respect for the dream. It's a respect for who am I to say? Because I've worked the indies, even if I was doing it ten years, who am I to say that they can't? You know, it's an entertainment business, and if I have to be entertaining and have to get direction or get a script or get something, hey, send the script along. You know, it's just I feel you got to play ball. You got to, you know, that's the way it has to work. And now, are you are you speaking of someone in specific? No. When you say, you know, when you say selling out or when you say somebody sold out or would you sell out and change the gimmick, blah, 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 who in specific has done that that you can, you know, uh, link that with? Yeah, I don't know enough people in, in like, the insiders. Like, well, uh, like I, I'll, give you one. I'll, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Go what ahead. about uh, Loki, Kaval? Oh, man, that was bad. Uh, I feel bad for the guy, that the way the WWE abused him and, and what they did on uh, NXT and then you know, sticking in with two people who really know nothing about the business compared to him, and then shortly releasing him afterwards. That that was bad. I've heard interviews with him. I mean, he's never really bashed the WWE um, in terms of what they did, but, um, you know, he, his dream, he said it. You know, I guess he would be the uh, exception, as it were, uh, to, to that rule. He really didn't dream of, of wrestling for the WWE. He, he's more of a Japanese wrestling type of guy. Now, what they did to him on TV was just... That was just bad. If you were going to do that, that there was no point. They they should have they shouldn't have even signed him. There was no point in getting him to do what they did with him. You know, personally, I would say. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. But at the same time, uh, release or ask for his release is where you have to focus there. Uh, because from my understanding, it was he asked for his release because he was not happy with the direction they were going with his character. Yeah. And if that's the case, fine, so be it. That guy is making loads of money in Japan. You know, that guy is doing it and doing his style and doing his thing. And if he's happy and he's making a good living, that to me, you know, I mean, I think we all can agree that we've been in jobs where we were not happy and the money does not matter at that point. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I, I uh, trust me, I've been there. And the money is the money means nothing. And I, I, I make great money. And the money means nothing if you're not happy. <laughs> and same thing with him. Um and the same thing with him. Uh, if he's not happy and he doesn't want to do it, and he's already the difference is he got there, he did it. He could have stayed there, and I would say he would still have an amazing career, you know. But it's up to oh, him course. to do that. Uh, of course, and, and but he like made you the said, sorry, but like you said, I mean, the WWE is it. That that's where it is. I mean, people remember. Everybody can remember. You know, the guys like the Hulk Hogan's, the Ricky Steamboat. You know, the guys who at some point or another their paths crossed with the WWE, whether it was. You know, the WWF, whether it was WCW going into WWE, I mean, it doesn't matter. Somebody like Loki had a very, you know, subpar run. And, I mean, he, he ended up asking for his release. But so did somebody like MVP, who is a, is a buddy of his who also loves the Japanese style. And, I mean, he's on good terms, but he ended up leaving, uh, you know, the WWE on his own terms to end up going to Japan. Now, let, let me ask you this, Jared, um, and, and uh, you know, as we, uh, as we wrap this up with you, um, what, what's in your future? Where are we going to see Bright Lights, Jared Foster? Where do you see yourself? You know, we, Joe asked you about selling out and stuff. I mean, let, let's ignore that for a second. But what does the future hold for uh, for Bright Lights? You know, not to sound too egotistical, which I know I, it's so easy for me. Um, <laughs> That's why Joe loves uh, you. Buddy. Yeah, not to sound too right. egotistical, but you know, again, I can. I'm a realist, and I, and I am. Uh, I'm real to the idea of who I am and what I have to offer, and I think that. You know, 
I, you know, I would say, and from what I've been told by critics and fans and, uh, you know, people in my life, I, I would say that I have what it takes to work for the WWE. And I'm not saying, and I actually am unsure uh, if, let's say, I have what it takes to be an, a wrestler full-time and do it. Can I entertain a crowd? Absolutely. Probably better than most. Do I know what the people want? Absolutely. Do I know what the people hate? Absolutely. Do I have necessarily the biggest body? No, absolutely not. I'm real to myself where I can say, can that be believable? Can that be worth it? Hey, that's not my decision. Do I have it, though? Absolutely. And what's in the future for me? There's really (laughs) only one place for someone like me and for what I can do compared to what everybody can't do. There's only one place for me to go, and I think we all know where that is. Uh, I wouldn't say I know in what role I would be in, but I know that the future is... uh, is bright. Bright. The future yep. is bright for me, and I and I have some some wonderful things in the works with some good companies, and I think that you guys will find out shortly, uh, as will I. Uh, but yeah, I think that big things will happen, and all of the people. Let's just get really quick in closing. What I will say is that anybody out there listening, or anybody out there who says that size is the most important thing. Trust me when I tell you, you are dead wrong because I'm a guy who's five foot nothing but has it still and is getting somewhere sometime soon. That I know of. Uh, and it has nothing to do with size. Absolutely nothing to do with size and it has nothing to do with uh, the muscles. And I think that that, in CM Punk's case and in the case of wrestling today and the case that I've said to you guys three times on the phone it has nothing to do with it, and I really hope that I will be someone who proves that even more. So, bright things for me ahead, and I'll take you guys along for the ride. Oh, of course. I mean, uh, we'd love to have you on again in, in the future when uh, these things do come out. Uh, I know you, you told me off the air that you had some things brewing, so whenever that does come to the light, as in, uh, you know, you're allowed to talk about it, of course, you know, you make sure you come on Pure Gold and uh, and mention it to us, and you, you can talk about uh, whatever that may be. Uh, we're probably never going to talk to Flex again, considering uh, you know now that the WWE owns them, they're, they're not gonna, they're not going to let him go on just any show. I remember uh, you know there was something about him going on Busted Open, but even that, I don't know if it was approved or I don't even know if it's happening. So uh, you know we're definitely going to listen. Keep I'm the... not, I I I don't even want to talk politics. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, what else? Let's I was, not get into was... it. Do me a favor though. Do me a favor. I, I'll make sure to schedule something with you and Flex in about six months. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. You, I have you to, do I have to that. At least one out there. Come on. <laughs> you do that, sir. It's only fair. Um, you know, we'd love to have you on again in the future and uh, bring it as only you can, sir. So bright lights, much success to you, sir. You know, what's funny is that today I was talking to my wife and I told her, uh, oh, you know, uh, bright lights are gonna come on the show, and she's like, I like that name, bright lights. And then she's like, well, you know, what does it mean? Like, uh, you're looking at the bright lights, and I, and I explained to her, I was like, well, you know. It can actually go two ways. Uh, bright lights as in, you know, you talk about the man of a thousand bulbs and all the media attention, the focus, the spotlight is on you, or, and, and or, you could also say it's, uh, you're, leave your opponents looking up at the bright lights when it's all said and done. So, sir, much success, and we appreciate your, your time, and we will definitely talk to you in the future. Thank you guys very much. Uh, much respect. Right. Same to you, sir. Uh, have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Folks, that was the one and only Bright Lights, Jared Foster, and for the first time that he's, uh, you know, out of all the times he's been on the show, there was no, uh, there was no insulting, there was no going back and forth, there was no humiliation, there was, there was none of that because you know what we've, we've, uh, we've moved past that. But one thing we haven't moved past is insulting the next man who's going to come on our show, the one and only Todd Johnstone, the man, the yada yada yada. Todd, how are you doing, sir? Well, that was like a slow train coming on that insult. I saw that one coming all the way down the track. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we, we got to make sure we don't disappoint you, sir. So uh, speaking of uh, not being disappointed, uh, what's going on in the world of uh, sports, sir? Well, we had a pretty good weekend of football, uh, you know, with the exception of maybe last night. I mean, the game went pretty much, I think, how everybody thought it was going to go. I mean, I right. think uh, it's safe to say we all picked the Giants to win. You know, they they definitely had had some issues. You know, uh, Manning wasn't really that strong. You know, he had an interception to start the game off. Um, the things that are concerning, I think, are uh, Manningham's concussion, which is still inconclusive. He failed a, a sideline test, but uh, according to, to Coughlin today, uh, he's still being worked on. Uh, Hickson injured his calf. But Coughlin says that they're checking on his surgically repaired knee, so that's kind of odd to me. So, I mean, I guess the Giants won the game, but, you know, they lost their self-respect, that's for sure, with that terrible acting job that was caught on TV of two giant defenders flopping. It looked like Major League Soccer out there and not football, that's for sure. (laughs) The Giants should be ashamed of themselves for that one because that was obviously coached. <laughs> yep. They can deny it all. They, they can deny it all they want, but that was obviously coached. And I know that every head coach will tell you that. Well, it's something that happens all around the league. Well, it happened to the Giants. That's what I saw. <laughs> Very true. The the Eagles. Um, I actually picked against the Eagles in this game. I was I actually picked the uh, the Falcons. I thought that they would win this, and I think given a little bit. Uh, I, 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 I'm sorry. I said I, I meant I picked against the Eagle. I picked the Eagles in this one. I thought if uh, if Vic was able to stay in the game, they definitely would have won that game. Uh, Kafka did not look terrible, but he definitely looked uncomfortable. And I mean, you also have to take into account. I mean, Ryan is just pretty much unbeatable at home. Those those Atlanta Falcons are definitely going to be something to be contended with, regardless of what their Week One performance was. That's for sure. Yep. Dallas Cowboys. How about that for a gutsy performance, huh? That was something else. Romo comes out smelling like a rose after being ripped by the media in the, in the loss to the Jets. I mean, the guy had fractured rib, punctured lung. I mean, my God, he is definitely the hero of the NFL this week. I think I think the bigger issue with that is that the doctors allowed this guy to play. I mean, Boomer talked about this morning. I don't know if he caught it, but... The fact that Romo was able to play and the doctors cleared the play, I think that's the bigger issue more than anything. If you're Tony Romo and the way you got ripped in the media and when you think about Jay Cutler last year in the uh, NFC Championship game, now I understand, right. punctured lung is a lot different than a torn ACL. <laughs> I completely understand right. that. But if you're Tony Romo, based on what you saw in the media over the past year on those two performances, you're going back out on the field. If you can stand, you're going back out there. No, I, mean, I definitely I, hear you. <laughs> I, I think it was a truly gutsy performance, and to pull out the win was just outstanding. I say, I say good for them. 
And then quietly into the uh, the division leaves the Washington Redskins with Rex Grossman at the helm. Who the hell would have ever guessed? I mean, I I picked the Redskins. They were my preseason pick to win the division, and I mean they're they're doing pretty well. But I didn't expect them to be doing this well. I, I expected it to be very good Rex, bad Rex. I thought that the other teams in the division were going to just be kind of out of sync and bad and dream teams and all that other nonsense. I just thought that they were going to quietly sneak through this division, and it looks like so far they are. Right. So, Jets, at, uh, Jets in Jacksonville. Uh, a very decisive win. You know how I always say all I ever want for my team is a decisive win so I don't have to bite my fingernails off. Right. Uh, Sanchez got banged up, and uh, Rex was has been questioned a lot by the media. You know, why was Sanchez still in the game just to get Plex a, a touchdown? And, you know, Rex, he what I love about this guy is he is like a fan, and he really is truly a, a guy that these players can turn to. He, he said that it was selfish of him, you know what I mean, that he wanted to get Plex involved in this game and get him going. So he left Sanchez in there. And I have to defend Rex. He's absolutely right. I don't think that it was a big deal that he left his quarterback in the game late in the third quarter. You know I mean? Would they have pulled Brady in the same situation? No. Obviously not, based on uh, some of the performances that we've seen out of him in the past. But, I mean, yeah. Sanchez wasn't terrible. 182 yards, two touchdowns, about two INTs. The defense came up big, four INTs. And that Eric Smith, man, whew, he was ball hawking. You knew that he was getting an INT at some point in that game. He was just all around the ball all day long. It was pretty amazing. What does bother me a little bit about uh, the offense, though, is, you know, there's three for 12 on, on third down conversions, and that's kind of bothering me a little bit. 3.2 yards per carry rushing, I'm not worried about that. He'll get the running game going, I'm sure. The Nick Mangold injury, I don't think it's as bad as everybody's making it out to be. Is he a huge help to Sanchez and signal calling? Of course he is. You know, the guy's a grizzled vet. He's a first-round pick, and he plays like it, and he acts like it. He's a leader on the team. But uh, the the rookie center that they had brought in, what, like two weeks ago or something like that, he played fine. Sanchez had to had to make some more calls for himself, you know, and had to be a little bit more observant. But he played fine. We go to Oakland. I mean, Mangold thinks he's playing. <laughs> he's crazy. Yeah, I know he's got like eighty some odd starts or something like that. Mango thinks he's playing this weekend. That's not happening. And I think that Rex would be foolish to play him anyway. Oh, who else do we have? How about the Buffalo Bills? Are these guys shocking the world or what? This is a team that's coming out of nowhere. I mean, Roscoe Parrish is going to be out for the season, which may kind of put the damper on them a little bit. But the, the Buffalo Bills look like they're for real. And I crap all over Chan Gailey because I think him being the coach of that team is a joke. But you can't argue with the results. <laughs> there's nothing else I can say about it. Then there's the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Reggae Bush, Reggae Bush, he got bumped uh, down in the uh, the lineup. I think it was yesterday or today. I just saw online uh, because his production has been so bad. You know, I didn't understand the Reggie Bush. Uh, going to Miami pickup to begin with. I thought it was terrible. He's, he's shown us that he cannot be the every down, every down back. So, I mean, he's totally in denial. He says that he can still be that guy. I mean, he's accepting his role, whatever it's going to be, but he can still be that guy. Well, obviously he can't. 
So right. he's done. Obviously. Definitely. Maybe. New England Patriots. How about those Patriots? You know, Tom Brady has got, you know, uh, another feather in his cap with, uh, you know, two great back-to-back uh, yards, passing, whatever. I don't really care about that. The only thing that I care about is that they are the 31st defense in the league, and it shows only in front of Miami, who is at 32. I mean, 372 yards of offense they they gave up through the air, and 100 yards rushing. Well, nearly 100 yards rushing, 98 yards. I mean, you're not going to get it done against quality teams doing that. I mean, they gave up 400 yards to Chad Henney. They gave up 300-some-odd yards to – the infamous late starters of San Diego. I mean, they usually don't even get it going until week six. So for San Diego to have to play the Patriots this early, I mean, maybe it was the scheduling from the NFL. Maybe it was North Turner saying, hey, you know, can you help us get this team started a little sooner by uh, making us play a quality opponent early? So I'm not buying the Patriots. They haven't played anybody yet. When they play somebody, then they can come and talk to me. But the same could be said for us. We really haven't played anybody yet either, and we won't be playing anybody until the, until we play the Ravens. And the Ravens are so hot and cold, who the hell knows what they're all about either. So true. Todd, let me ask you something. Um, sure. What did you think about your son's uh, team and Cam Newton's performance back-to-back? You know, I have to say, you know, my son is pretty hyped up. He was pretty much calling this season a wash. And uh, this Cam Newton kid is just unbelievable, man. I mean, once I start hearing everybody saying how great somebody is, I, I wait for them to fail. That's terrible, terrible character flaw on my part. But, you know, it, the kid is just fantastic. And you, know, you hear him compared to, uh, uh, what is it, they call him, they're calling him Ben Roethlisberger with Michael Vick's legs. Well, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, the kid throws a beautiful ball. Right. They just got to get them some, some receivers. Mm-hmm. They got to get that running game going, too. Yeah, and that's that's a good point about the running game. Why why are, the, like, Jet fans or Jet analysts, why are they so big on the Jets, like, getting the running game going when a team like the Patriots don't really care about the running game and they just throw it every other down? Like, why is it so important for the Jets to establish a run game, but it doesn't matter if the Patriots don't? Well, I think it's because they've been they've been putting the game on Tom Tom Brady's back for so long, and you know the the running game is just an afterthought to them. It's just something that they do to to waste time after they're beating you by fifty fifty eight points. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, you know, I think that for us, we're I don't know that we're that we're actually seeing it, but it looks like we're seeing uh, kind of a metamorphosis here, where Sanchez is starting to take over some games now, or at least it seems like maybe Shoddy is trying to take some pressure off of, off of himself by letting Sanchez sling the ball a little bit, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, it, it takes me back to the days of Chad Pennington, where we used a lot of the play action and play fake, you know, what I mean, to to throw the ball down the field, and. The minute that they don't put eight in the box, when they go to a dime package or something like that, you know, we'll, we'll run the ball right up your right up your gut. I mean, I, I, I totally see that. And, you know, I have this argument with my wife all the time because she's like, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. Why do they do this? Why do they do that? Why are they ground and pound? 
I mean, you, you bring in these, these great wide receivers so that you can run the ball because they've got to show respect. Rex was saying it today. They were double-teaming Plex without ever even having the ball thrown at him for the whole game. He only got targeted twice. So, to me, he's, he's playing a role. He's drawing right. double coverage. So, somebody else is going to be free. And who has the big game? Dustin Keller. There he is. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny, it's funny how the NFL season, though, changes week to week. I mean, you have the Giants lose week one, and all of a sudden all the Giant fans are ready to jump off the ship. Now they win the game. Granted, they they played sloppy, but they're one and one, and now they're playing the Philadelphia Eagles this week. And you know, Mike Vick is most likely not going to play. If the Giants win that, they're in first place, and it's uh, all happy in Giant Land. You know, so this the, the NFL season is so long and changes from week to week. It just amazes me, Todd, how like you know you can't you can't go extreme. You can't go real high on your team. You can't go real low on your team. You just got to take it week to week, especially in early in the season. I mean, like you said, uh, like we said, injuries are going to happen, and, you know, Mike Vick got a concussion, so we'll see where they go. But, I, you know, Giant fans could be looking at themselves in first place or at least, you know, a game behind Washington if Washington wins again. But, you know, let's take it easy, Giant fans. Don't jump off the GW just so soon. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, think about the Giants' season last year. They didn't even play a uh, a, a, a division game until, like, what, like week Eight or something like that. Week ten. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean that's craziness. Of right. course they're going to slide through this. I mean they're going to they're going to come out of this because uh, yeah I I'm, I am picking the Giants to beat the Eagles because the Eagles are banged up. But you know let's see what happens with these Giants receivers as well. If they've got no Mary, Mario Manningham and they've got no Hicks, I mean I don't see how they can possibly win because they've got I mean, no like, chance in hell. Yeah, he can't. Hey, I mean, Eli can't get in sync with the guys he's got, never mind bringing in second and third stringers. So right. I'm reserving judgment on that pick. I mean, at this point in time, I'm picking the Giants to win. But, you know, like you said, it's a long season, and, you know, the Giants are the Giants. They'll go 6-2, and two, and then they'll go 2-6. and six. <laughs> Got a lot of yeah, I also think before we let you go, Todd, I think that this Sunday, I know that you said that the Jets don't really really play a real team until they play Baltimore, but let's face it, the Jets have never played really that great in Oakland, and I think that with Nick Mangle, without Nick Mangle, I think it's going to be a close game. I think the Jets need to stop great. the running game of the Oakland Raiders, and I think the Jets could win. I could see a score of like 20-17 to 17 or something to that effect because I think that – you know, the, the Oakland's playing with confidence. Yeah, they lost to Buffalo in Buffalo, but I think they're going to be a little bit upset going back home, and I think the Jets don't play that well. I think we're looking at a nail-biter for this Sunday, so I hope you have your nails ready. I am just hoping that we can get Kenrick Ellis back on the field sometime soon so that we can keep that D-line rotating and keep it fresh. I mean, Muhammad Wilkerson has played fantastic so far. I mean, you, there's no knock on the kid. He's been great. And because of, if they can keep that D-line fresh and rotating throughout the game, everybody's you know still hitting hard and fresh in the third and fourth quarter, Calvin Pace is going to have a breakout year. Calvin Pace is going to be like the Calvin Pace of old. Very true. Right. So, listen, uh, Todd. Uh, you got to love your goal. This is the only show where, uh, you know, this type of stuff happens. But, listen, Todd, uh, you know, of course we appreciate your, your take uh, – 
you and Calvin Pace and the rest of them. We appreciate you uh, you coming on as always and uh, you know giving us your opinion. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll have some exciting games this week, and we'll be able to talk about it again next week, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, same channel as it were. Hey, go Giants. I live in Eagle country, and I hate the stinking Eagles. Go Giants. Come on. Let's go Giants. <laughs> yeah. Stinking Eagles. Well, hopefully, sir. We'll, we'll have to see who's going to be dressing, uh, you know, for the Giants in terms of uh, receivers. Maybe they'll bring back Amani Toomer, you know, get a uh, oh, or Stephen Baker <laughs> or somebody to, to throw the old uniform back on because they need help. Uh, they need tight ends. They need everything. But, Todd, listen. Uh, John Landetta sounds like he's ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think Jeff Beagles is going to suit up for them. Listen, uh, we appreciate it, Todd, as always. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Take care. Folks, that was the one and only Todd Johnson. And speaking of the one and only, now we move on to our own exclusive report. Coming live off of the SmackDown, the one and only Pyro Falcon. Pyro, how are you doing, sir? What's up, guys? You uh, sound pretty energetic. Poor Todd sounds like someone spat in his coffee this morning, but uh, well, I, I suppose Joe. that's what happens when you're when you like the New York football team. So you know, that's well, actually pretty good this year. But uh, listen, you know, speaking of spitting in coffee, uh, tell us how was the event when I saw you on? I was like, wow, Todd. You know, here comes the Todd is doing his thing, and now we have Pyro afterwards. How was SmackDown? Tell us all about it, sir. Well, let me put it this way. Last year, I had gone to SmackDown Live in December 9th, I think. Um, And when I was there live, it's always more exciting in person. And today, it kind of felt like I was watching it on TV, which probably means when I do watch it on TV, I'm going to give it a D or an F. But uh, it it was okay, you know, and it's always kind of fun to watch it live. But I don't know, it didn't have that same fire, probably because there wasn't very many people I cared about on the show uh you know i mean when, when we have mark henry as world champion there's only so much excitement i can possibly muster for it Plus, right uh now let, let me know, ask we, you uh, sorry so let me ask you this I, I i read online and i actually stayed away from the spoilers because i saw you were on uh is it true that there weren't a lot of people at the arena oh yeah there there was only like half the, i mean it'll look good on camera but there, um, I was actually sitting opposite the camera side, so I was able to see all the seats behind the camera, and half the arena was blocked off. I mean, it, it was dead. Um, you know, WWE is good at making tricks, so it doesn't appear it. But, yeah, there was only only half the seats were full. They'll, they'll probably call it a sellout, but only half the seats were full. What's interesting is that there was a show. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, what arena were you at, uh, if, I, if I may ask? Because I'm, I'm not sure what, what they have over there in Ohio. Um, I'm I'm at the Nutter Center, which is actually in a city called Beaver Creek, not Dayton. They just call it Dayton because Dayton's the closest big city. Um, <laughs> Beaver Creek's fairly large, but trust me, it's it's you know the, the number of people we had is pretty proportional to the to, to the city, size of the city. What's interesting is that there was a, there was a taping recently. I forget where what state it was, but there was like 1,200 people or 1,300 maybe who actually paid. And the WWE had to fill it in with some other people. And there was only about 3,600. Now, I don't know how many people the Nutter Center uh, fills, but I'm sure there, there was more people than that. But I wonder why it is that WWE is usually a, a marketing you know, genius, and they're usually getting these full sold-out uh, shows, a lot of sold-out shows, especially when they come to this area. I wonder why it was so dead. I mean, are the shows typically like that, when, you know, the couple that you've been to live? I think it's all about um, just the, it's a continuation of the problem that WWE has had for the past 10 years. I mean, you know, professional wrestling and WWE especially is not what it used to be. And 
you know, CM Punk can be brilliant all he wants, but that doesn't put butts on the seats of every show, especially when, you know, this is SmackDown. We know Punk's not going to be there. So, you know, there's only so much excitement we can uh, have with it. Right. Although that said, uh, I was sort of in dangerous ground because I'm wearing my Pittsburgh Steelers Troy Palomalu jersey in a sea of Bengals fans, and I'm like one of only three people there who's booing Randy Orton, so that was kind of got a little sticky for a bit. But uh. <laughs> Well, as long as you didn't get uh, mugged or anything like that, that's the important thing. Folks, uh, in case you're just joining us, uh, we're here live on location, folks. This is actually live and on location from the site of SmackDown over in quote-unquote Dayton, Ohio, really Beaver Creek, Ohio, with Pyro Falcon. Now, uh, Pyro, tell us a bit about the show. I know Joe is dying to hear uh, his favorite show, SmackDown. Um, give us the highlights. Anything good happened, or was it just a, a big old moose turd? Well, first of all, I got in after the dark match, which uh, was fine. And NXT was boring as always. Superstars was boring as always. So that's irrelevant. Um, SmackDown um, did have a fairly interesting main event by stipulation. We had uh, Christian versus Mark Henry, and Christian finally got his one more match. It was for the world title, and it was a lumberjack match. But um, Christian kind of screwed the pooch on that one. He tried to get it, get everybody on his side, including Sheamus, gave Sheamus a potato as an act of love or something. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was really good. In fact, uh, with that scene, like he gives Sheamus the potato, Sheamus takes it in his mouth, spits it out, and he goes, that's not from Ireland, that's from Idaho. That pisses him off enough to, uh, you know, come on down and kind of alter things. And uh, Mark Henry won it clean, um, unfortunately. Well, as clean as you win a, uh, a lumberjack match, anyway. <laughs> right. right. Um, uh, let's see. We had we saw both Sincaras, and that was kind of weird. It was a uh, face Cara, as I'm calling him, versus Daniel Bryan. But at the end of the match, um, Cara was do- going to do something off the top rope. And heel Kira came down, shoved him off the top rope to put him down, and uh, uh, so heel Kira wound up beating Daniel Bryan. And <laughs> Daniel is confused, and the ref had no idea, so you know that was kind of interesting. And of course, but I'll tell you the real highlight, and this really shocks me. This I know this will shock you guys too, since uh, oh, you know boy. you've been following the yeah. I, I know you've been following WWE forever. You know the change of um, mentality it's had. The co-main event, so to speak, was Randy Orton versus Cody Rhodes. And uh, toward the end of the match, Cody took his mask off, smacked Orton with it, put it back on quickly. Orton kicked out of that, but Orton got upset because, you know, that's what Orton does. He stole Cody's mask, hit Cody with it, and Orton draws the DQ. Not a huge deal so far. But then Orton, who, again, for some reason is our number three babyface, decides to completely – Let's see, how can I put this in PG terms? Lose it. Lose his temper, have his little anger management problem. So he starts beating the crap out of Cody's face with the mask on his fist. Then he throws him outside the ring. Then he uh, destroys the table, continues to punch Cody. Then he walks off and grabs a chair. When the camera comes back to Cody, he is sporting a crimson mask that would make Ric Flair win. I mean, Cody was gushing blood to the point where it was pouring off of his face like a, a faucet had been turned on, and a pool is forming on the black mats outside the ring. Orton wow. still delivers a couple shots with um, with a chair, RKO's him on the table, starts to leave. His music starts, the fans are stupid and going nuts and chanting RKO, RKO. So he comes back, 
by now, Cody is sort of half up, but there's another pool of blood because it, it hasn't stopped yet. They've like uh, they had a bunch of trainers run out. Um, referee John Cohn had the rubber gloves on. They were doing everything they could. They had a towel to his head. Orton runs over, pulls the towel off. The towel was red by this point. It started off as white. He puts them back on the table, and there's this other pool of blood on the table in addition to the one on the floor, and then he RKO's them again on the table. So, and, of course, the crowd loved it, but, again, I'm like, first of all, why are we cheering for this guy? Because it's like, okay, Cody lost it. And you now know, he's dead. Cody screwed up. He did the little mask thing, but this was even unnecessary by, say, Stone Cold Steve Austin standards. Um you know, so I don't know why we're cheering for him, but in the second place, I mean, that is a lot of blood. I, I haven't, because they even played uh, a clip, Austin, uh, Steve Austin has a new DVD coming out in November, so they were playing clips of him, they showed the famous Bret Hart match where he's got blood all over his face. Yeah, what Cody was wearing, yeah, what Cody was wearing tonight was just as bad, and they always do the black and white thing on TV when they show that Steve Austin clip, so I really don't know what they're going to do with Cody. Unless they somehow have camera angles where you're not going to see very much of it, but I mean, he was gushing. They're going uh, to the, the, they're going to blur Cody's face out, I think. Uh, anywhere is Cody even alive? Was he able to get up at any point after that? Yeah, he he stayed down for about thirty seconds to a minute while Orton pranced and preened like he was awesome. And you know how Orton is; it took him a year and a half to get out of the ring. He, it, in fact, it took him so long to get back. His music looped once before he was able, you know, before. Uh, um, Cody was allowed to stand up. But Cody did finally stand up. He walked out, you know, with the towel to his face. But um, after that match, because I'm bored and I'm looking at everything except the Titantron, um, I noticed that there was a stagehand who was having to clean up a trail of blood that followed Cody around the stage. So I mean, he was still he was still bleeding pretty profusely after the whole thing was over with. So it was it was kind of shocking. I mean, you know, it's like. Given that I was a fan in the Attitude Era, I shouldn't be too surprised, but given what we normally are served up, I am really surprised, especially that it was that much. So I, I well, was pretty is shocked. It, is, is it safe to say that Randy Orton is going to get a rematch at Hell in the Cell against Mark Henry? Oh, yeah, he, he's got one. Uh, they announced that on Raw anyway. I don't know if you – I don't know. But uh, but and, and then tonight they said that um, you know Mark Henry would face Christian for the title and whoever won – uh, would face Orton at Hell in a Cell. So, um, oh, and after the show, we got a special treat because uh, Orton hadn't been able to do his RKO. So, uh, with Mark Henry leaving, because uh, the, the commentators have, had already left, uh, Teddy Long came out, ordered them to have a title match right then and there, which told me I knew who was going to win. And uh, apparently, half the Lumberjacks decided to start beating the crap out of Randy Orton for no reason. So, uh, they did. Orton won by DQ, so of course, he doesn't have the belt. Sheamus came down, and for some reason, Sheamus and Orton got along long enough to uh, beat the crap out of everybody. And um, to, to one more time display what kind of person Orton is, after that whole thing, he kind of did a lap around, kind of patting everybody's hand. He posed about six times before actually leaving, whereas Sheamus did a lap, gave everyone high five, shook hands, actually did autographs, and then did some broad gesturing to indicate that Orton was a wuss for leaving already. And then, you know, that's when he finally left. So, you know, Seamus, Seamus and Cody, for what they did tonight, you know, massive respect in my eyes. And Orton, I'd say he loses some respect in my eyes, but honestly, it couldn't get much lower than it already is. So, I think it's safe to say that SmackDown was definitely a D or F, and I'm sorry that you spent some hard-earned money there, Pyro, to go watch such a uh, 
terrible show, but you did mention something about DVD, so I want to bring it up to both of you. Um, we sure. haven't really talked about it. You know that OMG DVD? I mean, have you bought it? Are you interested in it? DG, are you interested in it? Um, you're talking about the one with all the crazy moments in WWE history? Yep. Well, I'm sure it'll be on Netflix, so I'll, I, I'm on my way to canceling that subscription pretty soon. Uh, whenever it comes out on there, I'll uh, I'll check that out. But uh, honestly, Joe, I don't I don't know. Ever since I found out you could just wait till it comes on Netflix, I don't see the point of buying the DVDs anymore. I don't, I think the last one that I bought was uh I don't know if it was Randy Savage or uh, Shawn Michaels or one of those DVDs. But um, I'm, I think I'm pretty much done buying WWE DVDs, which is sad because I have quite a collection of them. And uh, I know Pyro, you're you're uh, you're a big fan of the DVDs. What about you? Actually, I agree with you 100%. I'm just waiting for them on Netflix because none of the... I mean, I have a select few wrestlers I care enough about to uh, get a DVD, like if uh, Undertaker rock Bret Hart, which I'm sure they'll never have another DVD set, but if they do, I'll probably pick it up. But that's about the list right there. And, I'm just, you know, it, I, I am kind of interested in the OMG moments, but I'm kind of half worried because, like, when the Rocks DVD came out, um, that was, like, right in one of the valleys of WWE's, you know, stupidity, or I should say the peak of their stupidity. So I got it, and watching the Rock DVD, all it really made me made me do was hate the current product even more because I'm like, hey, this is what it used to be. So if I watch the OMG DVD, I'll probably feel the same way. I'll be like, I'll be excited while it's on, and I'll be like, you know, what is this crap they're showing now? Although yeah. Yeah. This, this Cody Rhodes thing is supposed to be some sort of new uh, trend they're going to bust out once every so often, you know, that may not be so bad. And, in fact, I was thinking about it, if what they're doing with Cody Rhodes' bloody head is this is sort of a precursor to Hell in a Cell, because, you know, the last couple of years, Hell in a Cell has been actually a PG pay-per-view. You know, even though it's been Hell in a Cell, the most dangerous match type, blah, 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 Allegedly. it really wasn't. And so maybe this will mean that they're going to do something a little bit more intense this, this year. So here's right. the thing. I think that the uh, lingerie matches in the WWE are more dangerous than the last couple of Hell in a Cell. But, you know, what's interesting is, since you guys are talking about DVDs, what the Rock DVD made me do is want to puke, because I don't know I don't know about you, Pyro. I know Joe doesn't really get them, other than the McMahon DVD, which is pretty good. I'm not a big fan of DVDs about wrestlers, where the wrestler doesn't really appear off, you know, outside of his, his uh, pre-recorded clips, like... I want to see the guy talking about his career. I don't want to see somebody talking about his career for him, and then they just show you matches and clips. So th- that kind of upset me with the Rock DVD because I was really looking forward to that one. Um, what I want to know is how is it possible that after like 85 DVDs, they somehow find it, uh, they find enough footage to come out with a, a four-disc DVD of Steve Austin's career? What could they possibly have left to talk about Austin's career that, that, that after 20 DVDs they make another set I mean, him and Undertaker, you know, we talk about John Cena's 12 world title reigns or whatever. I think Austin and, and Taker combined have about 50 DVDs, and, and they keep coming out with them. I, I just don't understand it. Well, I haven't seen any of Austin's previous DVDs, but uh, this one is specifically called the Steve Austin story or the Stone Cold story. They showed some clips. They showed some behind the scenes. They show him talking about his career um, you know, he, he's discussing his mentality. He's talking about what it was like to get called up. So um, that's the stuff uh, I like. I, I think this one is one of those. I think this is going to be more of the biography, the interview type of thing. In fact, uh, if that's what you're interested in, you'll probably want to pick it up. Well, unfortunately, I'm like Joe. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of Austin. Um, Joe, what about you? You're gonna you're gonna catch it. Uh, you know, when it comes out, I know you're you're probably saving your pennies for that one. 
No, I I, I want to go back to my OMG statements, uh, my <laughs> OMG DVD. I'm just curious. I'm just curious uh, what your guys' number one OMG moment of all time is in the WWE. <laughs> well, for a different reason, um, probably one of my most OMG moments is a uh, cast flash from Armageddon. Uh, wasn't that 1997? Because I know I was under 18 at that point, and I hadn't exactly <laughs> uh, experienced the female form. Yeah, so I, I was it, actually so. with like four of my high school friends, and we were like cheering and screaming the whole time. But once she oh, did yeah. that, uh, we all kind of shut up. So <laughs> that kind of sticks out in my mind. You know, I think I've had so many bad OMG moments and all of them involving Joe that, uh, Joe, two that jump off the top of my head right now would be Owen Hart dying while I was at your house at a pay-per-view um, over the edge, which sadly enough, with the ironic title, I remember sitting there watching it with you and a bunch of other people just in complete and utter shock. And that was horrible. That was one of the worst days of my life, thanks to you. And one of the other ones was the day that Chris Benoit, the, that whole situation came out and we were again at your house watching the WWE, and Chris Benoit had just murdered his family and then killed himself. So to me, yeah, any any a moment involving Joe Buccino and his residence usually is, is a big, horrible OMG moment for me. What about you, it's, sir? What, that what is horrible. <laughs> what about you, Joe? What would you say is your OMG moment? I mean, moment? I think we should just have a pay-per-view, uh, a, a DVD about the wrestling deaths, and then we could say that those are probably the most two shocking ones, the OMG ones. But for me, when I'm not talking about deaths, because obviously you're a sick, twisted fool that likes to focus on death as an OMG moment. My two OMG moments is when Vince McMahon bought WCW, because that was a surreal moment. Go to hell! Yeah, you can go to hell too. And then I I thought in terms of a wrestling match, when Undertaker threw Mick Foley off of the the Hell in a Cell, I thought that was probably my number one OMG moment in terms of a wrestling match. But Vince buying WCW to me was just so surreal. And to me, I know that it had been leaked out before the you know, the actual Raw was live, but that was still an OMG moment for me. Right. I think for me, you're right over there, Pyro. I mean, are the police coming after you? I hear like a, it sounds like a, the sergeant is coming for you. I'm actually in Walmart buying stuff, so oh. that's something that's <laughs> over something. Yeah, don't well, worry about it. Folks, live and on location from Walmart, the one and only Pyro Falcon. Uh, That's right. I would say one of my quote-unquote OMG moments uh, as a kid would have to be, um, it would have to be Shawn Michaels throwing Marty Jannetty through the plate glass window. And what's interesting about that, obviously Shawn's big heel turn, that was a huge thing. I remember being a fan of the Rockers. What's interesting is that everybody seems to remember that Shawn super kicked him through the window, but that never actually happened. What really happened was Sean kicked him in the face and then threw him through the window. So for me, that was a big uh, OMG moment because that was, you know, the beginning of, of Shawn Michaels' legend, really. And it's not, it's something at that time was was such a huge event, you know. So to me, that that was a big thing. I'll give, yeah. I'll give you one in all seriousness. I, I've been thinking about. It. See, I didn't watch as many pay per views as you guys did back in the day. But uh, probably my biggest OMG moment I think I have, I'm giving this some serious thought, is actually from a couple of years ago. My biggest OMG moment was seeing Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels hug it out after the 12 years or 14 years or however long it was. Because that was something I never thought I would ever see in you know any stretch of my imagination. So that that was probably my biggest one in all seriousness. 
That was definitely a that was definitely a big one. Uh, Dude was last year, and I remember now they actually have a Shawn Michaels Bret Hart DVD, the rivalry one coming out. So uh, what I'd like to see in terms of DVDs, uh, I'd love to see a, a Rock Steve Austin DVD, but just dedicated to their rivalry and have you know the two of them interviewed and stuff because that was definitely one of the more legendary uh, feuds uh, you know in the '90s and really of all time. But you know, Joe, you have any other big moments? Because I'm kind of drawing a blank when it comes to quote unquote OMG, other than horrible things at your house. <laughs> I mean, uh, let me just think here. An OMG moment. Um, you know, I, don't you think? I mean, the, nobody even talked. Nobody even agreed with me. Don't you think it was just surreal to see Shane O'Mac show up on the last show of Nitro? Yeah, it was definitely. It was definitely surreal. What was surreal for me though uh, was being at the King of the Ring in 2001 and watching the same Shane O'Mac get thrown like four times through an overhead belly-to-belly suplex by Kurt Angle through. A play class window that would not bust. So that was definitely a OMG moment there, sir. And then seeing him get the uh, angle slam. Uh, Pyro, are you all right? Are you, are, are you running from the security at Walmart? I mean, what the hell's going on over there? I'm good. I'm good. Walmart has their speakers all the way up. Go ahead, keep talking. I'm trying to keep my mouth or my hand over the thing. <laughs> yeah, what I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted by Pyro's hot breath was. Um, watching Shane McMahon get the angle slam off the top rope off a table, to me that was pretty that was pretty sick. And being there live just made it that much better. I think my favorite Shane memory is whichever pay per view it was that he decided to do a leg drop on Big Show off the top of the Titan Tron. That was ridiculous. You know, speaking of all that, I remember when Brock Lesnar superplexed the Big Show. Now, obviously, it was on SmackDown. I don't remember if I, I watched it live or if I heard it and then I had to see it, but that was definitely, that must have been a big OMG moment for the people who were actually at the pay-per-view because that was sick. You know, with a ring collapse, you guys still there? Yeah. I'm here. I think I think we've killed the OMG segment. I just wanted one from you, and, you're, and now we're just like... Naming all fifty. I mean, oh, uh, enough, geez. enough. You make us sick. You make us all sick. Yeah, but yeah. we're talking about when wrestling was good. Then we can never talk too much about that since it stinks so badly nowadays. Uh, oh, definitely, Pyro. Can you give us your your quick thoughts on before we wrap the show up? Because you know, here we are on the overrun. Um, what do you, what do you get coming out of uh, Night of Champions? Give us at least with uh, in terms of Alberto Del Rio and uh, and John Cena. Where do you see this that turn going? In terms of what? John Cena and who? Alberto Del Rio? Yeah, Alberto. I know you forgot his name considering he's going to go back to mid-card status, but yeah, Alberto Del Rio. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I, I'm sick of seeing Cena as champion and Alberto Del Rio wasn't, you know, didn't have the belt for long. I just, I really don't care. I mean, it's, I, I have total, complete apathy about the Raw title situation. It's just, I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't care about Cena. I'm tired of him. I want some change. But, you know, you had said something to me, something interesting to me on Instant Messenger where he said, you know, you were hoping that with Punk uh, doing what he was doing, that it would somehow, um, you know, make an actual change in WWE. But as long as Cena's holding that top title, that's just not going to happen. He can cut as good a promo as he wants, but ultimately if Cena's champion, nothing's really changing that much. Right. I tell you who should be champion after his performance last night is, is Hugh Jackman. I mean, how good was he as the as the guest host? As a matter of fact, I read online that he actually broke. Uh, I, I think he actually broke um, Dolph Ziggler's jaw. He fractured his mandible because uh, Ziggler is not going to need a mouth guard with that with that right cross he gave him in, in the uh, his, his little thing. But he was actually such a good uh, 
such a good um, guest that, you know, maybe they'll bring him back. What would you think about that guy, Joe? Yeah, that was definitely uh, my OMG moment of the year. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was, sir. <laughs> wow, good stuff. But, uh, uh, you know, Pyro, hopefully, uh, I'm, are you going to be ordering the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view? Because I know, you, you know, you, you love to order all these wonderful pay-per-views. Say that again? I said, are you going to be ordering <laughs> Hell in a Cell and then, uh, in two weeks and then Vengeance three weeks after that? <laughs> and then Survivor Series? <laughs> a month after that? Yeah, I'm I'm not going to order any. In fact, the only reason I uh, got this pay-per-view was because a friend of mine bought it for me. I, I'm done. I'm poor. I uh, got my bills for my student loans. going to be $50,000. That's five zero thousand dollars So I think I'm done buying luxuries for the time being. Well, then you should get it at Walmart because that place is all about luxury. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> stop, stop spending what's left of your money and, and go uh, pay back your student loans. Listen, Pyro, we really appreciate you, uh, you know, chiming in and giving us your, your feedback. I have to admit, Joe, it was pretty cool to have a, a live report, even though it was after the event, but to have somebody live and in the arena at an event and then calling in the show, this is a, it, it makes it sound like, uh, you know, an actual uh, regular uh, sports show, sir. Well, you know, it doesn't That's make us sound like it. We- it doesn't make us sound like a real show. We are a real show, sir. I don't know when you're going to get that right. through your head. I mean, we're nine months in, and you still think we're acting like a real show. We are a real show. What's interesting, speaking about nine months, is that my wife is actually nine months. Uh, yesterday was nine months that she's been pregnant, so this is pretty much like a big, long uh, pregnancy for me. This whole show. But listen, uh, Pyro, we, we really appreciate you coming on and giving us your take. Uh, like I said, it's just cool to have a live report on the show because that's like a next level. Pretty soon you'll be working for the WWE and you'll be calling us from uh, meetings and texting us during the uh, during your, your breaks from uh, hearing Triple H scream at you all. I don't know, man. I'm not sure WWE would want to hire me considering how I treat the divas. I'd probably get my first restraining order and firing within about 10 minutes. Yeah, if Melina ever comes back, it'll be within five. We'd have uh, WWE.com. I'd like to join a new writer for uh, WWE.com. And then five seconds later, uh, we wish, uh, you know, Pyro Falcon the best in all his future endeavors. <laughs> Listen, Pyro, you have a wonderful evening, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk to you soon, sir. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right, take you care. Too. Folks, that was the one and only Pyro Falcon calling us, apparently, from Walmart as he's shopping for a, a new John Cena shirt. Uh, you know, apparently the, the rumors are, are out there. But, uh, of course, we uh, we appreciate his uh, his feedback, as always. And, JB, as we are definitely in the overrun here, let, let, let's wrap up this show. Um, you got any nuggets for us, sir? Because there's one specific thing that I wanted to touch on before we uh, close out this bad boy. Well, I think we should hit on uh, let's since we talked about way too much wrestling again. I don't even want to get into the fact that <laughs> Triple H fired uh, Miz and Truth for whatever reason. We'll we'll see we'll where that develops, yeah. and you know we'll find out whatever whatever. But just give me your take on, and I'll give you my take on the Jets in Oakland. But give me your take on Giants Eagles this week. Um, it's gonna be tough, sir. I mean, if Manningham, I'm not sure if Hickson is playing. I'm not sure if Manningham's gonna play. I mean, the Giants injuries are getting comical. They're starting to remind me of the Mets. I'm pretty sure that the, that the players go to the same doctors that the Mets, uh, the Mets players go to. But um, you know, if if Vic doesn't play, I think the Giants have a chance. If Vic plays, I think they're gonna get bombed. I mean, it's pretty much that simple. I saw the beginning of yesterday's game. I was kind of going back and forth between Raw and that, and then you know, doing some other things here around the house. Um, and the Giants, they didn't look that great. I mean, they scored their points here, yeah, but Eli was looking sloppy at the beginning, and he got the interception and, you know, just underthrowing people. You know, they, they seemed to get it together, and they had a nice, uh, you know, 2016 victory. But um, 
I know that they're one and one, and it's only two weeks. But I'm not, I'm not with all the injuries. I'm not too confident in this team, sir. Honestly, I think this is going to be a long sports year for me. And uh, hopefully, when WrestleMania comes around next year, it'll be able to change my mind, and then uh, that'll go into the new baseball season. Okay. And then for me, the Jets go travel to Oakland, like I told Todd, and I, you were listening in. I just think that the Jets always have a tough time in Oakland, and the Oakland Raiders are a little bit better than they were last year. So I expect the Jets and Oakland to have a really good game. I think if the Jets stop the running game, yeah, I think if the Jets stop the running game of the Oakland Raiders, I think they'll be okay. But I also see a close, close, close game. So I think the Jets could eke one out 20 to 17 with no Nick Mangold. Hopefully they get the running game going, and hopefully that the the defense gets off the field on third downs and and stops Oakland's drives. I think that's the big keys. I think the Jets do eke one out. And then they head to Baltimore Sunday night, next Sunday night to play the Baltimore Ravens. But I think after next week, I think we're look after this week, we're looking at the Jets three and zero, sir. So uh, that's our NFL picks for our local teams. And the only nugget I have, sir, since we're in the over overrun, is over. that Mariano Rivera is now the all-time saves leader with six oh two. He got it yesterday at you know the makeup game against the Twins. Um, to me. He was always the greatest closer of all time, and now he has the most saves, which pretty much justifies it in terms of stats. That's Definitely. the only nugget I have. Congratulations to Mariano. I'm a Yankee hater, but you know you gotta respect the guy for what he did. I mean, 602 saves. Nobody's ever gonna come close to that. No I don't sir. Think ever. So Absolutely. congratulations maybe, to him. Maybe Bobby Cornell will come close one day. 602 yeah, right. minor league saves. Yeah, like I said, congratulations to Mariano, but the Yankees could go to hell. <laughs> Well, you know, sir, it's interesting is that uh, I'm not a fan, obviously, uh, just like, yeah, I don't loathe them the way that you do. I definitely don't like them. But, you know, it, it's interesting when you look at the Yankees over the years. I mean, it, honestly, without Mariano, and yeah, maybe, maybe he kind of sort of blew the 2001 series. But really, it, it's on more than just him. If you take him off the team, I don't know how many championships they win. I still think they'd win 96. But um, without Mariano to close the game, I mean, he to me, is more important than Jeter. Um, he's more important, more important than Pettit, more important than these guys, simply because his role was so vital to them actually winning. I understand that Jeter plays every day, or you know Bernie Williams or whomever the case, but you're talking a guy who comes in there to specifically to give you the win. Specifically, that is his job to hold the fort and win the game. So I mean, Mariano is the greatest ever, and I don't see how the Yankees win more than more than one, maybe two at most without him. So instead, you know, they've got five in the last what, 15 years? Yeah. Oh, by yep. the way, folks, i got to throw this out there. Uh, there's a special birthday coming up on Thursday. It's actually going to be Pyro's birthday. I think he's going to be turning 15, or, or you know, at least he actually is 15 sometimes. So let's give a special shout-out to him. Uh, happy birthday to Pyro, uh, whether he's listening or not, or if he's, you know, getting uh, accosted right now at Walmart for trying to steal some stuff since he can't afford to buy anything after his student loan uh, bills came in. But, um, you know, like I said, uh, great stuff there by Mariano. The best ever, no doubt. Best reliever, best closer. He is truly in a class all by himself, sir. Uh, he's, as far as I'm concerned, the man is untouchable when it comes to uh, when it comes to his, uh, his save record, sir. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, hopefully the Yankees get eliminated in the first round. Now that, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's not hopefully. much baseball talk. But, you know, the, the baseball season yeah, wrapping up, it, it looks like the Red Sox want to choke away the wild card to the Rays, but, you know, the Yankees beat the Rays tonight. Red Sox lose again, so, you know, the Red Sox still have a two-game lead with about nine games to go. Hopefully, I, I want the Red Sox in to play against the Yankees because I think their pitching matches up. But, you know, whoever wins, whatever, just as long as the Yankees don't win. And then after that, I don't want the Phillies to win, obviously, but uh, obviously in that order. 
You're right, Sarah. Uh, the, the, I mean, the Mets got blown out. The uh, the Sox lost. Uh, they blew it. So, you know, it, it is what it is. They, they're terrible. Hopefully they can get it together. I just don't understand what the hell's going on in Beantown. But, uh, again, you know, uh, just one last point on Mariano. What I find interesting about him, sir, is you have guys like Trevor Hoffman. Who, I mean, Trevor was there due to longevity. He was never a great, great closer. He's obviously up there because of what he did. You've got John Franco, the all-time lefty, saves leader. You know, these guys were not – they didn't have the best stuff, but they were able to, to – make it happen somehow, some way. But Mariano, like I said, class all by himself, dominant, amazing, just the best ever. And, uh, you know, again, great man. Hopefully we'll get him on the show one day before he, uh, you know, go, moves back to Panama. But, sir, uh, let's put a wrap on this show. Uh, it was great as always. It was great having Jared Foster join us, actually out of character, which is interesting because Jared is always – he is a character. He's never out of it. So uh, it was good to see him, uh, you know, have him on the show. It was great having Pyro on, of course, and giving us his, his take from the live horrible – what sounds like a horrible SmackDown. Um, of course, Todd giving us uh, what only he can give us. The less said about Todd, the better. But, sir, this was uh, definitely, a, definitely a great show, and uh, we're excited to see what, what is in store for Pure Gold in the future. Again, hopefully we'll work on that Carl Bank situation, try to get him on the show, and we're still trying to get a few other people on the show, sir. It was definitely a don't ask, don't tell type of show, and I will see you Saturday at your baby shower. Definitely, maybe, obviously. Uh, Folks, that's all the time we have this evening. Be sure to tune in uh, next Tuesday night, and you can catch the show again. The greatest show on earth at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Make sure to check us out, puregoldpg.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and all that other hot mess. For JB, this is DG of Pure Gold, reminding you that no matter what you do, no matter where you go, always keep it P-G. Good night, everybody. Woo!